Season 2, Episode 9 of the Talking Ball Y'all Podcast, brought to you by Mugshots Grill and Bar, Katie Cake and Company, Pearl River Community College, Bank Plus, Advantage Insurance Company, and Stonewall's Barbecue and Catering. On this episode, we have some roundtable discussion about some statewide and local sports. Also, we will sit down and talk to former Picayune Maroon Tide and NBA player Jonathan Bender to talk basketball as the season is just around the corner. Hope you enjoy. As we get uh, ready for the roundtable portion of the podcast, as we do each and every week, this uh, part of the roundtables, the JUCO, uh, the Junior College scoreboard, it will be sponsored by Pearl River Community College. And Clay, uh, number seven, start off the top right there, number seven, the Jones County Bobcats. Uh, beat Northeast 40-27, to puts them 4-0 in the division as they're going to be hosting the number 20 team in the nation, Colin, uh, that's coming up week, who's also 4-0 in division. So big uh, big matchup right there for Jones as they played last Thursday night. Yep, uh, another exciting addition and episode of this podcast. Jeff, just can't wait to dive in, as you've already done here, in the round table and getting after it. And somebody's O has got to go in that right. 4-0, and 4-0 matchup between Jones and Colin. Uh, Jones, a really good club. And, of course, Colin is, too, both of those teams competing in that South division. And uh, even with a loss, you would think one of those uh, – or both of those clubs are going to make – uh, the playoffs there from the south. Yep, and and Colin beat Hines this past Thursday, forty-one to twenty-seven. And that game uh, this week, Clay, will actually be on Saturday, uh, October the twentieth at two p.m. That is Jones County's homecoming, so Jones will host Colin uh, for homecoming. Uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast BD Central twenty-seven fourteen, uh, big win. For the Bulldogs down at uh, for the Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, and they get ready to come to PRCC Pearl River Community College this Saturday for Pearl River's homecoming. It's going to be their 96th meeting overall, but big win last Thursday uh, for the Gulf Coast uh, Bulldogs. Yep, Gulf Coast had a quarterback change uh, two weeks ago. That's worked out uh, well for them. They've been able to move the football a little bit more consistently through the air since that quarterback change, and so they've played good football of late. You expect that from a good Gulf Coast club so they'll bring in a very good football team that they'll be holding stadium there on Saturday for Pearl River Community College's homecoming as you've mentioned. Yep and speaking of Pearl River Community College they have their, got their first win of the season uh, this past Saturday which was yesterday as we recording this on a Sunday afternoon uh, that was Southwest that were they were Southwest's homecoming opponent and Pearl River Community College come out on top the Wildcats 37 to 9 uh, in that ball game, so first win in the books for uh, for the Wildcats this season, and let's see what kind of atmosphere, what kind of energy that brings in as they face Gulf Coast for their homecoming next week. Yep, Pearl River did something that they're familiar to do, and even uh, with that record, Jeff, they ran the football well, and that uh, set them up for success. As Ron Thompson had another big game on the ground well over 100 yards with a couple scores for the Wildcats and that win and good to see coach Edgar and his group get that first victory yep and of course we mention them each and every week but East Mississippi keeps rolling number one in the nation 56 to 21 win over Holmes and if you look at the national poll Clay that keeps them at the top East Mississippi number one Northwest number five Jones number seven and Colin. Uh, rounding out it at number 20. So four Mississippi teams in the top 20 with the national polls. Yep, and of the state playoffs for that JUCO uh, were to start this week, it would be East Mississippi and Northwest, the two teams coming from the north. People that are not familiar with our state and the way the junior college system works, two teams from the north make it, two from the south. And so East at 7-0, and as you described, number one in the nation, Northwest uh, coming in in the top five in the nation at that 6-1 and one record. Right. So this is a stacked up, uh, as they say, the toughest league of anywhere in right. junior college football, and I'm certainly a believer of that. Yep, we've had the privilege of covering JUCO uh, in the years of our broadcasting career as the Mississippi JUCO League for Pro River Community College. And we, uh, we know as well as anybody that that is a tough division and tough league as far as Mississippi JUCO. Now as we get into the high school portion of our roundtable, we'll be brought to you by Stonewall's Barbecue and Catering. And, Clay, let's just start with the game that we had a chance to call and a, an opportunity to call this past Friday night as we cover the Poplarville Hornets for WRJW Radio. Poplarville, big win, 26-14 to uh, over Summerall to go 7-1 and overall, 3-0 and in the district. 
Uh, big win for Coach Jay Beach in that ball club, and they get ready to go to another rival team, also district uh, game. They travel to Purvis this coming up Friday night. Yep, a, a really good win, a hard-fought game over a quality uh, Summerall club. You know, you look at Summerall, they came in with that ball game with only one loss just the, the week prior uh, to Lawrence County. So we knew uh, what Summerall would have. Dennis Jackson, their quarterback, an Ole Miss commit, most likely going to play in the defensive secondary on the next level. Had been a wide receiver uh, in high school and, of course, in the defensive backfield. But because of an injury, had shifted over to quarterback play and had put up really gaudy numbers coming in to, to, into that ball game. And you could see why, Jeff, as we covered the game, um, every time he would roll out and decide to keep it himself, you just kind of held your breath. But Popperville's defense, once again, you, you camp out there a lot because of how good they are. They contained him. I mean, they gave up a big player two to him, but not enough for uh, Summerall to win the ball game. And you can kind of speak to that defensive effort from Popperville. Well, and, you know, we talked about it in the pregame show Friday night that Ross Barnett, Chandler Norris, uh, Mario Barnes coming in and seeing some big plays from some younger uh Cason Soans put up a big performance on the defense. Uh, Blaze Breerwood coming in and making some key tackles for the defense. Uh, but they they come and go, and, and nothing against the other guys, but they come and go that defense with Ross Barnett in there. And I mentioned he was like the key uh, that fits the lock for that defense. Signal caller on the defense, defensive side of the ball. Uh, they come in off a seven-game win streak, and that defense is, is, is stacked with uh, head uh, defensive coordinator uh, Tim Story up there. Yep, and the job that head coach Jay Beach has done with the injuries. They fought through a right. lot of adversity so far to be at that 7-1 and one mark, 3-0 and oh in district play because they're awfully banged up. Chase Shears, the talented junior, has fought through uh, injury all year long, hasn't been able to play, uh, just hasn't been uh, been able to go for Popperville because of his injuries. Uh, you look at Corey Knight, the fullback, wasn't able to play till about the fifth game this season. And then a key injury that happened uh, right before the half was Tyson Holston, the key wingback who has played most every game really since his ninth grade year, a senior leader on that club. Uh, went down after a big long run from his wingback position, and he was unable to go in the second half. So a lot of missing pieces. You look at what they did offensively, 367 total yards. They were able to grind out some long drives, Jeff, control the clock. Dennis Jackson just standing over on the <laughs> sidelines, can't score from over there. So we've talked about the defense. We did a lot on the broadcast on Friday night. But the offense, they did what they needed to do. Corey Knight from that fullback position, grinding out three and four yards at a pop. Cason Sones coming in. Uh, Micah Hickman had told us prior to had been putting in some really good work. He really helped that offense from the wing back spot. Ethan Taylor, the tailback, had a nice ball game. And then the senior leader, Antonio Barnes at quarterback, made all the winning plays, all the plays that he's made. A kid that began to start halfway through his ninth grade year has won a lot of ball games back there as a signal caller for the green and gold. You know, and I just I mentioned that Popperville goes to Purvis, a, a rival game. District game would be their fourth district game. But Purvis put up a fight against Lawrence County this past Friday. So uh, you could almost throw records out the out the way when it comes to them two teams playing. So it should be a good atmosphere in Purvis. Absolutely. When you look at the way that region sits, uh, Jeff, Popperville 7-1 overall. We've mentioned their 3-0 and record. Lawrence County, the team you just mentioned, what an improvement and a turnaround. Right. They're sitting at 7-2 and overall. 3-0 and in region play after winning that overtime game against Purvis. And then Green County, 6-3 and overall, 2-0 and in district play. That was a tough fault game a few weeks ago uh, against Green County. So this region, right. when you've got a 7-2 and Summerall club sitting as your four seed currently, that says a lot about 
this little 4A region. This is a tough region. Yep, and that's going to be the four teams, Clay, if you look at it. Poppaville, Lawrence County, Greene County, Summerall. You, by the way it shakes out, you look at it on paper, you think Poppaville, Lawrence County, one and two. And then the other two is going to be your three and four, as I just mentioned. So that's definitely going to be your four teams as Purvis and Forest County brings it up at 0 and 3 in the district, both a piece in the rear. And the region that Popperville matches up with, the one and two, sometimes in a playoffs you can get a real cupcake coming as your three right. or four into your build in that first week in 4A football. That's not going to be the case. Whoever rolls in as the three or four out of this region into somebody's home field that first playoff week is going to be a handful. Well, I guarantee that. And we've seen it last year. Poppaville played Purvis in the regular season, but also had to t- play another in-district rival, Purvis, in the playoffs. So there's a possibility that that could shake up again. Let's move right down to uh, the scoreboard as we're looking. Pearl River Central, the Blue Devils, uh, just up the road here as we record in Picayune, Mississippi. Uh, they defeated West Harrison 40-19. to Stends their record to 3-5 and overall. Two and two in the district does the Blue Devils, and they go on the road and face Gaucher uh, this coming up Friday. Five and three overall. Gaucher is also two and two in the district. Yeah, so going to be very interesting to see, and we'll actually check in with Jeremy Shesby. He had the call of the game the other night for the radio broadcast, so let's check in and see what Jeremy Shesby has to say. Checking in now with Jeremy Shesby. He had the call of the Pearl River Central Blue Devils ball game the other night on the radio. And uh, Shez, a big win for Pearl River Central just up the road there in Carrera. Tell us what you saw the other night, my man. Yeah, Clay, you're right. It, w- it was a huge win for PRC, you know, especially coming off of that big loss at Hattiesburg. Um, to get another win in district and even this thing up at 2-2 two and two was real big for these guys. And uh, you know they, they played a solid ball game. We're still we're still played with the injury bug very much. So play uh, defense still starting a lot of young players. Uh, but I got to tell you, defense showed out the other night. I was real impressed with our defensive line. Uh, West Harrison's got a, a great mobile quarterback that has a lot of speed, and he was able to get us one time around the edge. But other than that, you know our defensive line played great containment on the outside. Did a really good job of staying in front of ball carriers. Uh, another good night for Damon Anderson in the, in the secondary. Made a couple really good plays on some balls. And then a guy that, you know, we hadn't talked about much this year, Trent Alleman. He was kind of a, a – I don't know if he just started. Uh, we hadn't mentioned him much, though. And uh, he, he made a couple great plays, had great awareness on the field, had an inter- interception on a deflected ball, um, and, and made uh, several big, big tackles in that game. So defensively, you know, we finally had a week where we were, we were able to stand out um, that's been the big struggle as of late for them. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you know, the last few weeks our, our offensive line has really shown up, doing a great job of getting off the ball, making their pulls, making their blocks, and been real effective for our ball carriers. You know, Whitehead went – This is these are stats that I took down. The official stats will be posted later. So if I'm off a little bit, I do apologize for that. But Whitehead had 27 carries on the night for 152 yards. Three more touchdowns, and that brings his total on the year over a thousand yards, up to eleven hundred and sixteen and fourteen touchdowns on the ground for him. And then behind him, another big night for Ryan Spradley. Had eight carries for fifty-three yards and two more touchdowns. And I'm real impressed with the way that he's improved as far as vision on the field and with his patience. He's he's been real good about waiting for his blocks to mature and then making breaks at the right time. You know, Jeremy, if you look at their overall record there for the Blue Devils, three and five, as you just mentioned, two and two in the district, you're you're seeing them each and every Friday night. I had the fortunate – I was fortunate enough to call a game with you a couple weeks ago when they went to Long Beach and got a victory. But I see them from the middle school side on Thursday night as I have a son in the program. You see them on Friday. It seems right. to be that that athletic department as a whole, middle school, high school, you know, JV, ninth grade, they're buying in to what's – what Coach Owen has in store for this team. So they, it looks like the future could be bright for this uh, this Blue Devil team. Oh, there's there's absolutely no doubt about that, Jeff. Um, you see these these young men in junior high, as you said, you know, the eighth grade team as seventh graders last year won the championship. They're playing again this Thursday night coming up for the championship. Um, so just some great ball players coming up through the ranks now we got a big sophomore class so you figure in, in two years when they're seniors you're going to have this big eighth grade class coming up and you know i'm i'm impressed with the way that they've picked up on this 
this program already. I mean, Owen has only had since the spring to start instilling this new wing T offense. And, I mean, look, you guys can speak to this more than I can. He's obviously a perfectionist at the wing T, one of the best in the business. He did a great job at Poplarville, and he's, he's already doing a great job with it here at PRC. And each and every year as these kids grow, we're just going to get better and better. Shaz, when you look at it, as you've described, uh, the way that they've run the ball, even in their losses, has been very impressive in that wing T. Look at this region, man. Or Hattiesburg, obviously, uh, with the, what they've done, undefeated in region play. So is Picune. And then after that, you've got four teams jumbled up there at two and two. So what does this Blue Devil Club have to do to, to fight their way into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, we still control our destiny here, Clay. You know, as you said, we've moved the ball well. You know, the scoreboard the week before last obviously didn't show what we did on offense. We get, we got beat pretty handily by Hattiesburg, but we were even able to move the ball on that defense. So we can move the ball. I feel like we can move the ball on anybody. Uh, we had 612 yards of offense against Wayne County and uh, just lost it there towards the end of the game. So we can move the ball on anybody. We're going to go to Gaucher next week. And if we can pull a win out against Gaucher, which is, is a very beatable ball club for Pearl River Central, you know, we've got we've got to be able to lock them down on defense. They've got a very mobile quarterback. Um, he's already got 678 yards passing this year, and he's ran for 459, and that's not including whatever he did against Stone. So I've not seen those stats yet. And he's got 11 touchdowns. You know, they had a big quarterback last year in Kincaid that they've moved over to the running back position. So they've got two big playmakers on offense. Defensively, if we can contain those two guys and shut them down, we'll score on anybody this year. So that being said, offensively, we should be okay next week. If we can shut them down defensively, we win that ball game. And then, you know, looking on from there, I know we don't want to look too far ahead, but if we can win that one, then we come home and play Stone County, a good Stone County team, but another team we can beat, and that that's going to be for the fourth seed in the in the uh, division. Yep, and then you wrap up with Picune. So as you look at it, uh, all these teams kind of bunched up there at two and two in region play. You would think, and the way the math's going to work out, you need to win two of those three. And as you've described. Uh, uh, certainly a chance to do that in exciting times uh, there for the blue and white for the Blue Devils. It, it really is. Jeremy, we certainly appreciate your time, man. Appreciate uh, Keep up the good work there with your radio um, work that you're doing for WRJW following the Blue Devils, and uh, we look forward to visiting to with you down the road. Man, guys, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff and Clay, for all that y'all do with this podcast. Thank you, Chef. Hey, thanks, Chef. Have a good one. And that was uh, Jeremy Shesby, as you mentioned, had the call uh, this past Friday night for WRJW. Does a great job. I had a chance to work with him. Y'all been friends for a, a long time, and I worked with him a couple weeks ago. But uh, Pearl River Central, as you heard him mention, uh, Clay, we looked at if you look at the region, Pearl River Central setting right into uh, right in it at two and two in the district as they faced uh, Gaucher this coming week. That's also two and two in the district. Yeah, and we, as we discussed in the interview there, a bunch of teams clumped up at that two-and-two two spot. Some good teams in there, too. As uh, listeners to the podcast, we kind of gave you a preview of what Stone may do as they get into region play with right. Arrington back uh, for them. They will be a dangerous club and make some noise, and they've done that. And so you throw Stone in a mix, and then uh, the heavyweight fight that people in this region and uh, maybe across the state have been waiting for will get it. Uh, this week in Hattiesburg and Picune. Picune has to go on the road up to uh, Picune, and we'll check in with a friend of the podcast, Charlie Rogers, as Charlie works for the radio team there with the Hattiesburg Tigers. He sees them each and every week, and he'll be able to give us an interesting take on that ball game. We're glad to be joined by Charlie Rogers. Charlie, of course, works with the Hattiesburg radio team following this dominant Hattiesburg Tiger club that's Eight and O overall, four and O in district play, and it'll be interesting as our Picune listeners, as of course we're based out of Picune, will get a chance to hear from Charlie and his perspective on this heavyweight fight coming up this week as Picune goes on the road up to Hattiesburg. And Charlie, we'll just start there, man. This should be a really fun ball game to cover on Friday night for you. 
Yeah, I expect it to be uh, uh, what they used to call on wrestling a slobber knocker. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's two two teams that are off to really good starts. I know Picayune's got a couple of losses, but they were to some good six uh, A teams. And uh, coming into this game, I really like they feel like they've kind of hit their stride. I've been kind of watching their scores, and they've been putting up some points on people. And and obviously Hattiesburg's done that all year as well. And um, you know. That's it's it's gonna, it's going to be a fun one. I'm excited to be there to watch it. Charlie, when you look at what uh, Hattiesburg's done, have been really dominant. And as you've already mentioned, Picune over the last few weeks, look, we cover Popperville. You're familiar with what we do. We saw Picune in that first week. They beat a really good Popperville club. That's Popperville's only loss of the year. And what I thought they did better than they've done in years past is they slowed down. Uh, Popperville played uh, to me better uh, defense, especially on that defensive line. Picune, uh, not a as far as roster size, not really big for a five A team, but the size of these guys, uh, Picune's line, both offensively and defensively, are bigger. And and what do you think that will do against this Hattiesburg team? They're growing big down there in Picayune. Uh, they're growing big down there. And, and you're right. I think when I looked at the roster on Max Preps, they've only got 50 kids on the roster, I believe. Um, but you're right. I mean, they, they, they know what they're going to do, and they do it well. And I think that um, they're going to they're gonna have a tough time with the team speed of Hattiesburg. I've, I've seen it, you know, in every game so far. But we had some uh, Hall of Famer, kind of Hattiesburg Hall of Fame deal at our homecoming. And, we had several guys, including Rick Cleveland, who's uh, who's a ten uh, times Sports Writer of the Year. He was there, and also uh, also a uh, Harold Jackson, a former NFL wide receiver. Both just talk about the speed of the Hattiesburg team, and so I don't know if those big guys are, are going to be able to move as well, you know, against somebody linebackers and linemen that are that fast. But Picking is going to do what they do, man. They're going to fire off the ball. They're going to run it at you and. Uh, and they're gonna they're gonna be successful. They're gonna get their yards no matter what. I know they've got uh, Jordan Rain. I don't have stats in front of me, but I know they've got Jordan Rain, who I think is probably up around fifteen hundred rushing mm-hmm. yards already That's this right. year. Um, and I know they're not gonna throw it a whole lot. I think they can. Uh, Myers, I believe, is the quarterback right. this year, and I know he can throw it a little bit. Uh, also, a baseball player, but uh, they're gonna hand it to Rain, I believe, most of the game. And, and like I said, he's gonna get his yards, but. Our job on defense is to uh, just kind of slow him down enough. And, and I think picking his philosophy, and it has been for years, is the best defense is a good offense. And so they're going to try to run the ball, run the clock, and keep that, uh, that dynamic Hattiesburg offense off the field. And you say dynamic, uh, Charlie, and you, you mentioned Rick Cleveland. He mentioned this team being one of the – if not the fastest high school team he'd ever seen, which <laughs> those words just leapt off of uh, Twitter to me. I said, hold on now. This is this guy saying it. That That's legit right there. But the speed in which y'all have scored, Charlie, is unreal, man. Talk about the big playability of Hattiesburg's offense. That's, that's kind of their philosophy, man. They've got several hashtags that they use, uh, quick six and don't blink and ATM, which is automatic touchdown machine. And uh, I'll tell you how quick they can score. We were at the Stone game uh, calling the game there. And so after a kickoff or something, I don't remember what happened, I ran to the restroom, which is right across the hall as they play Mississippi Gulf Coast. So the restroom is just right across the hall. When I came back, I had missed a 60-yard touchdown run. So that's how quick they can score. And it, it is, man. They keep you on your toes. And uh, Jared Connor is, is kind of makes it all run. He makes it all go. And he's a, he's a Memphis commit at this point uh, with offers from other places. But he, he went over 1,000 yards uh, this past week rushing and passing. He was already, I think, over it in, in rushing, but uh, went over it in passing. He's got up around 20 touchdowns on the season already. Uh, so he's the one that makes it go. Um, but then there's also you've also got Drexel Allen in the backfield, who's up close to a thousand uh, with probably 15. I, like I said, I don't have stats in front of me. Probably around 15, 16 touchdowns himself. And then when they do throw it, they're going to throw it a lot of times to Darius Ruffin, who was uh, Player of the Week by most most media outlets last week um, after the uh, PRC game. Uh, he had four touchdowns in that game, but he's got eight, I think, on the season and close to a thousand yards receiving. So, and they're not the only weapons. And I'll tell you what, the the offensive line 
has just been fantastic for these guys this year. They were good last year and lost a couple of guys, but this year, man, they have really impressed me with how they've been able to blow guys off the ball uh, in the run game. I mean, it's just been it's been phenomenal. And these guys um, in district play, like I said, I don't have stats, but I think we're outscoring opponents 112, uh, 112 to 40 maybe in uh, in district play, which I think Picayune is something around yeah, there Yeah, it was too, close. Maybe. Yeah, it was a lot to yeah. a little for both of them, and they were real similar in the way that they've dominated in region play. They just do it so differently. You know, it's two totally different offenses, but uh, you get kind of the same result from both. You know, and Charlie, we – the ball clubs itself, Coach Tony Vance, Coach Dodley down here at Picayune, they don't like to look ahead, but we, as broadcasters and stuff, we look ahead. Can you see this team, these two teams, I know they're going to meet this Friday night, but it, can you see them winning their sides of the bracket and going in and maybe these two teams facing off again in the playoffs? Absolutely. And, and it you know, it's happened before. And, this you know, this game is the one just about every year that determines who's going to win this region. And it's probably coming down to that again this year. Um, but, yeah, if they get on different sides of the bracket, uh, I could definitely see them being, a, you know, a South State championship game. And um, if that's the case, you better hold on because it's going to be a show. Last year was – the last year regular season game was, man, one of the craziest games I've ever seen, much less called. And uh, it came down to a fumble recovery for the Tigers and then a couple of fourth down – deep passes to DeAndre Humbles just to squeak that one out. And uh, we were fortunate enough, we were listening after uh, after our second-round playoff game. We actually turned on the radio and listened to uh, the Picayune-Laurel game, hmm. just kind of hoping kind of hoping that Laurel would pull it out, and they did because we didn't want to see Picayune again. Charlie, it's uh, become quite a, a, a good rival when you threw some games in, like you just mentioned there from a year ago. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, tell our listeners, uh, Charlie, how they can follow because they'll be interested to kind of take a peek on what's going on. Uh, I know the show that's uh, filmed there at Mugshots, I believe that's on Tuesday nights. Tell our listeners first how they can follow you, Charlie, and then uh, to get better access to the program where all they can go. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at CharlieJr51. It's spelled out Charlie, J-U-N-I-O-R, 51. Um, you can also follow HattiesburgTigers.com. Uh, that's kind of been our – John Arinder has really taken over um, social media for the Tigers. He's putting out a lot – he puts out a lot of highlight videos, and uh, mm. he owns a videography company, Arinder Films, there in Hattiesburg. And so he, he's done a lot of highlights and top fives and things like that. So HattiesburgTigers.com is his site. Um, you can watch uh, on Facebook Live every Tuesday night we do uh, what I call Tiger Talk, and it's me and Coach Vance. It's a, it's a coaches show, basically, a weekly coaches show. We also have player interviews. We've had some coach interviews. So every every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we're live from Mugshot. So you can uh, you can come. We've got a whole room in the back. we got mics and stuff so you can hear. Um, but you can also watch it on Facebook Live. So that's to kind of give you a good insight into what Coach Vance thinks about Picayune this week. We'll, uh, we'll talk about Picayune. We'll talk about – uh, playoffs coming up and that kind of thing, and then uh, if you want to listen to the game, I know I know that uh, I know you got uh, crew down here that does it for WRJW, but we've also got um, our crew ninety two point seven in Hattiesburg WMXI app. But we also do a video stream. If you want to watch it, you can watch on NFHSnetwork.com. Uh, we'll have a video stream, and then the audio will be me and and my radio partner Jerome. So. If any of the Picayune fans want to watch the game, go to nfhsnetwork.com to Hattiesburg's page, and uh, you can watch it there. Awesome stuff, Charlie. And what what y'all are putting out, man, and the quality of stuff that you're doing there with the with the show is really good. And uh, excited for you, man, and excited for the game that you're going to get to call uh, Friday night. We'll check back in with you as uh, Picayune and Hattiesburg make playoff runs. We'll get uh, – Get your thoughts as we go down the road here, but we certainly appreciate your time this afternoon. Oh, sounds great, guys. I appreciate you. Thank you, Charlie. And and that was Charlie Rogers. That that 
you know, calls the games for the Hattiesburg Tigers. Picayune coming off that big win against Long Beach, 57-7. to uh, you know, 4-0 in the district. You heard Charlie's going to talk about that. He mentioned Hattiesburg 4-0, 8-0 overall, 4-0 in the district. Hattiesburg uh, is the cream of the crop right now in the 5A standing. So uh, it's going to be a good matchup up in the Pine Belt this Friday night, Clay. Yep, and as uh, Charlie has said on that, you know, Picune, the way that they run the football, that hasn't changed. Jordan Rain. Uh, once again, piled up big numbers against Long Beach. Uh, got help from the fullback position and Kay Turnage and the way that he's opened up holes in that big offensive line has done a tremendous job, as usual, uh, for that rushing offense for the Picayune Maroon Tide. Yep, and if you look down on the some of the coast football, uh, a friend of the podcast, Coach uh, Neil Lawler for the Hancock Hawks, uh, come up short this past Friday night, the Iberville winning uh, over Hancock 49-28. to But Hancock's getting ready to uh, face Harrison Central uh, this coming up Friday night. All the district plays starting to pan out uh, in all the regions and in all the districts, uh, Clay, as we get uh, deeper and deeper in the, in, the play, in the district play. Yep, when you look at that Coast region, uh, region Jeff, Harrison Ch- Central uh, came up short against Gulfport, and that really the matchup that people were waiting to see is Gulfport was able to beat Harrison Central 42-21 to this past week. Gulfport sits atop that coast region at 7-1. and They're 4-0 and in district play. Harrison Central right behind them at 6-2, and 3-1 and in region play. And then you have uh, a lot of sorting out still to do. You've got Ocean Springs, the Iverville, St. Martin, all vying for those final two spots in that region as we approach playoff time. Yep, we're getting deeper and deeper uh, into district play, as I mentioned. Uh, some some people go a week longer than others, uh, but playoffs is right around the corner, so everything's going to start ironing theirself out as district play is well underway. Getting now into the uh, part of the roundtable where we talk a little college football that happened yesterday. Uh, this portion of the roundtable will be uh, sponsored by Advantage Insurance Company. Uh, Clay, our Southern Miss Golden Eagles went over to North Texas and – uh, didn't didn't handle the football really well as far as the offense. Uh, lose that one thirty to seven as Southern Miss goes two and three overall, and that was a tough conference loss right over there at North Texas. Yeah, really needed to win that one if you were going to make some noise in the conference, and and if you're going to try to get bowl eligible, that would have been a really nice one to try to to go take. But North Texas is a good club. You're playing on on their home turf there. Um, Southern Miss, Jeff, just can't seem to run the ball well enough to keep uh, defenses honest. Not enough uh, gaps. You're not averaging enough uh, yards per rush to really keep people off of Abraham and this talented group of wide receivers really able to just kind of pin their ears back and uh, pressure the quarterback. You saw, uh, I guess it was midway through the second half there, try to make a change and go to Griggs for a series or two, and that didn't work either. Offense, to be honest, just uh, not there. Really uh, stagnant uh, yesterday. Credit uh, North Texas, and, and they get the win. Southern Miss going to try to rebound. They've got Texas San Antonio coming to the Rock on Saturday for homecoming, and so – that will be a big game. Can't afford to lose that one. Texas San Antonio three and four on the year. So Southern Miss needs to to get it together and win that one for homecoming. Yep, and I know you'll be at the Rock as you always are when the Eagles are at home. That'll be a six o'clock kickoff this coming up Saturday night on ESPN Plus. Uh, as you mentioned, San Antonio uh, UTSA coming in at three and four. So almost a must-win uh, conference game for the Eagles as they host uh, the San Antonio UTSA, uh, the Roadrunners there. Another big win for listeners we have all around this area as we creep into Louisiana, listeners, LSU, number 13 LSU defeats number two Georgia, 36-16, to pushes LSU to 6-1. and And I heard and I was watching the broadcast and on TV yesterday and hearing people, they're screaming, bring on Bama. And I'm like, oh, let's hold up and pull the reins back a little bit. Uh, you did beat a Georgia team that might have been under uh, underestimated at times, but you beat a Georgia team 36-16. to uh, Big win for Coach O uh, right there at Tiger Stadium. Yep, Joe. Burrow has done just what he needed to at the quarterback 
uh, position for that LSU team. What really was kind of scrambling at that position. He transfers in from Ohio State, of course, and he's provided stability, good decision-making, doesn't turn the ball over, gets you into the right play. And you can see a 6-1 and one team in LSU. And I see people saying upset and different. Georgia, you know, it was kind of – we've been, you know, expectations and preseason polls off of what they did uh, last year. There were maybe some signs there that they weren't quite the team that they were last year. And you roll in uh, uh, Death Valley. I can't really see. I mean, Tomatoes were per, pretty evenly matched right. uh, teams. But LSU able to come out on top and it will be very good ball game uh, against Alabama – exciting and and hype field up to that week now when they get it started i think a lot will do with uh Tua's health how he comes out he had a knee uh that popped up again on him last night and he had to come out of that ball game so it'll be interesting to see does in a couple weeks is alabama at full strength or is hurts at quarterback for them yep and lsu will face mississippi state uh, this Saturday at 5 o'clock on ESPN, Mississippi State coming off of a bye week. Uh, 4-2 and two record uh, will go down to Death Valley and face the Bulldogs. Um, Ole Miss coming off of a big win yesterday, 37-33. to 33. I say a big win. Arkansas uh, coming off the loss last week against Alabama. Ole Miss uh, wins that one 37-33, extending their record to 5-2. and two. And uh, time you for – Ole Miss just seemed to uh, lights out. He had put up great numbers offensively uh, for Ole Miss. Yep, second most yards offensively right behind Archie Manning, and that's pretty good company to keep there. It's over 500 uh, total yards that he accounted for, and they were really in a bind, and you've watched that right. ball game. Arkansas throughout the second half really held the lead and held momentum and anything else, and then at the very end there, Ole Miss – uh, puts together a couple drives and the defense got some stops. You know, I didn't think that would happen, but Arkansas had the ball a couple times where they could have iced it, but the defense did what they needed to do. And uh, that's a big win for Ole Miss uh, to be able to come back and win that ball game. Quarterback play, and then you, we've talked about the wide receivers and what they can do, and they showed up at the uh, last minute there in Arkansas. And we've seen that throughout the year. If you're an Ole Miss fan, of course, you've seen it as well. But if you look at the point totals each and every game that Ole Miss has put out, we've seen some 60 uh, ball games. We see a 37 ball game. I mean, Ole Miss has been able to put up the points. As they've got a very tough matchup again, they'll face Auburn uh, this Saturday at 11 o'clock on ESPN. Auburn coming in 4-3. and three. But Auburn is going to be coming in off of a – very tough loss against Tennessee. They were ranked 21th in the nation, Auburn was, but Tennessee comes out with a big – and I, was, I put upset. I wrote it right here next to it as the Tennessee Volunteers uh, with head coach, first-year head coach Scott Pruitt up there at Tennessee comes out with the win 30-24, to kind of upsetting the Tigers of Auburn. Yep. Uh, when you look back a week ago on the podcast, we kind of talked about the way that State was able to handle Auburn and being a USM guy following that USM-Auburn game. I questioned last week exactly how good is Auburn. Well, I think we found out, and Tennessee kind of found them out as um, uh, as they beat Auburn and Jeremy Pruitt and his club at Tennessee. That's a big win for them as just, I guess, a week ago or two weeks ago in the uh, press conference, he was kind of – like questioning and he was I think telling his fan base look I'll run some guys off from here or they won't be playing and I don't need y'all questioning me why I know the kind of culture that I'm trying to build here so you make those kind of statements in a presser and then you go win a big SEC ball game so good for Tennessee and I think we're kind of finding out about Auburn along the way yeah, and I think I called him Scott Pruitt there but you're right it was Jeremy Pruitt he was a, a first-year head coach at Tennessee, and, you know, there's a, a great win for Tennessee, too. I mean, they have been have their – you know, they've been a lot down more than they've been up this year, but kind of got that program right there with a 30-24 to 24 win over Auburn. Alabama, of course, number one in the nation. Everybody <laughs> – if you're up top, everybody's gunning for you. Big win against an SEC opponent, 39-10 uh, to 10 over Missouri. Extends it to 7-0, and 0, but they have to go – uh, to Tennessee, Tennessee three and three, and that'll be a two thirty uh, kickoff uh, this Saturday at, on CBS. That's the SEC game of the week. So Alabama just keeps rolling, Clay. Uh, but 
they're going to go to Tennessee, and we'll see uh, how what Tennessee's vibe is coming out off that win against Auburn as they get ready to host the Crimson Tide. Yeah, and it's funny the way things work out, uh, Jeff. You know, Hurts on his own made the decision to stick around. Uh, he burned what would have been could have been a potential red shirt year for him by uh, making a decision to hang. And then he finished that ball game up as Tua had to come out with a knee injury. Tua already wears a knee brace. That's a, a knee injury that's kind of hung with him. And so uh, he looked to have kind of re-sprained that knee. And it's going to be interesting the role that Jalen Hurts plays uh, through the rest of this season. As uh, from all accounts and from his statements, he just seems to be um, a really selfless kid, right. and and that's what you expect from a leader, a guy that's won a national championship and brought him to another one uh, to have uh, you know when say come in and stole, but somebody come in and earn a starting spot over him, and the way that he's handled it has been certainly class and and a and look, we cover sports. This is a sports podcast. Sometimes great examples you've got to reach right. for and look for. This week to see Hurts get a chance to go back out there and play. And then to see Drew Brees in a way that uh, – and to kind of lead into that's a funny segue. But to see the way he handled his um, all-time passing record there yardage-wise, the class, the stuff that they called him saying uh, to his kids, it, that was just, to me – uh, those two examples from two winners from the quarterback uh, position uh, made you feel good as a sports fan. Well, and then you mentioned Breeze, but it was all business. After that little moment, okay, let's give this piece of paper uh, to my family. Let's get it bound. And then the next, next camera view, you see he's right on the sideline with the tablet looking up plays. Had to win the ball game. That part's over, and then you can reflect on it after that. So all business for both of them, too, as you, as you mentioned. Hurts sticking around basically – putting it in the eyes of Nick Saban that he'll do whatever he has to do to help this ball club win ball games. Yep, absolutely. Cool examples uh, there. And now another cool example and, and a cool moment for the podcast is we'll get a chance to visit with uh, former NBA player Jonathan Bender, a guy that prepped here at, at Picayune and, and certainly made his mark on uh, the basketball program there, played under – uh, head coach Dean Shaw, and then the memories that actually I was a junior, a, a senior as Jonathan was a, a junior and had the pleasure of practicing with. Very seldom did we actually play in a game together because <laughs> he was normally checked out and resting by the time I would check in. But some great memories uh, with a guy that I call a friend, and so excited to visit uh, with Jonathan Bender coming up next. The NBA season opens up this week, and it's perfect timing to be able to get a, a friend of mine, a former uh, teammate of mine, and uh, a former NBA player, um, Jonathan Bender. And, Jonathan, man, thank you for taking time for the podcast this afternoon. No problem, Clint. Thanks for having me, man. Jonathan, a guy that back in 1997 broke Michael Jordan's McDonald's All-American game scoring record. And, uh, Jonathan, that led to um, being drafted there, the number five pick. But let's go back to that night, man. What do you remember about that McDonald's All-American game? I just remember it being a stage and uh, all the work that I put in. This was my chance to show, um, you know, that I was the best or one of the best. I was going to go out and perform the best I could on that stage. I knew the lights were there. I knew the cameras were there. I knew all the best players across the nation was there and that's where all the scouts were going to measure everybody up so i had to make a statement and that was that that was my intention going into that game at that time that was fine you look back at that night 31 points in just 31 minutes of play <laughs> uh i actually went back man for a nostalgia standpoint I went back and watched the game on uh, YouTube last night, just doing some prep work for this man. It was—I can remember me and Dad sitting in the living room watching you do what you do, and I still got uh, goose pimples rewatching it last night. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while, man. man. I haven't seen it in a while. I saw—I think I ran across it on YouTube, and I still obviously have the state here. But what was even more funny was the McDonald's commercial that they gave me after that game. I ran across that and I almost fell out of my chair. I was dying left. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Awesome uh, 
memories. The dunk contest associated uh, with that as well. I came across YouTube's got everything, man. That's a scary spot. They got, they've captured captured it all, but they've got your dunk where you went uh, from the free throw line as well. That was a, a pretty <laughs> cool thing. I actually put that back out on social media. I was about to say, I seen that night. the other night. <laughs> Was that which one was that? Was that high school or yeah? NBA? That was the uh, that was the high school and 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 you missed a couple dunks, and then yep. uh, you needed to make one, so you went ahead and went from the free throw <laughs> line for for you give me. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Neat stuff, man. Uh, JB, when you look at the preparation that goes into something uh, like that, of course, this podcast is based out of Picayune. We record each and every week out of here. Talk about your time there at Picayune High School and how it kind of prepped you for that type of stage. Mm. I think that, you know, first of all, Coach Shaw, you know, pushing you past your your uh, your your ideal limit and pushing more out of you was one part of it. And then it was the neighborhood. You know, it was my brother putting me on the court with grown men outside of uh, high school, you know, and, and college guys and stuff that I could play with to, to just step my game up and give me that extra bit of confidence. Um, I, I think it was uh, uh, those, that combination of those things, Coach Shaw, my brother, you know, just uh, being able to concentrate on balls. Not a lot of, not a lot to get into down the, the Picayune area. So, you know, you got a lot of chance to, you know, increase your athleticism, you know, out, outside of uh, practice, uh, you leave practice, you go and uh, you play at the courts and things like that. So that whole area just shaped, it, it shaped me, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know, the real big, big uh, 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 stepping stone and helping point to get me to where I needed to, I needed to go, so. JB, you're a unique guy, and and so many times I'll say that athletes or people that have competed at the level that that you have kind of wrap their identity into whatever they do or what they play. You were never, uh, to me, that type of guy. You were into a bunch of different things, a bunch of different interests, and maybe basketball wasn't always the top of that, which I always respected and, and really loved about your personality. Um, kind of speak to that to people that don't know Jonathan Bender. Uh, you mean as far as uh, my mindset going into ball? Or yeah, I mean, I just always felt like, you know, you were into whether it be music or food or different things. You just didn't let basketball just completely uh, dominate all your thoughts and energy. Yeah, so um, being very creative, I knew I had other gifts that were coming to me just as easy as basketball. And as I got into the game and got into the business part of it and got a glimpse of that, I really uh, had a sense of, um, you know, needing to get into other things or re- re- um, sort of reinvent uh, myself, if you will, um, to get prepared for life. Because basketball, you know, um, it, it's, it's a short shelf life, um, almost like a gallon of milk at the store. At least you know when that's going to expire. I mean, being a basketball player, a pro athlete, you can expire any time. You can expire tomorrow, you know, with an injury or, or whatnot. If somebody can cut you and you're out of it, right? So you, you got to be able to redefine and reinvent yourself with different things and try different things um, to, to 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 get to a point and get involved with something else that will last you, your, you know, those next 60, 60 years, right? So that was my mindset and it's still my mindset. As I uh, as I move forward and and continue to exercise other gifts that I that I, that I have, so yeah, so that, that's that's my mindset. That's how I always thought about things. Obviously, it took me getting into the NBA and getting to, into the business aspect of things to to really shed some light, further shed some light on what I needed to do. Yeah, we've talked about the McDonald's, uh, the game, and you were. Committed to go play basketball there at Mississippi State up in Starkville. That game put you uh, at a different level of exposure. Eventually, you were the number five pick in that 1995 draft. Uh, A trade for that pick landed you in Indiana. And uh, relationship with Donnie Wash and uh, the head coach there, Larry Bird, that mindset that you've just described answering that question, JB, and then what basketball was able – 
to expose you to, whether it be even before then the travel that you did with some AAU basketball and then the travel and the things that basketball led to there in the NBA? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a weird thing. You know, once you start to, you know, once the spotlight starts to shift your way, it not only shifts your way, but it spreads, and it spreads to a lot of different people, everybody around you, establishment, institutions, schools, all of that stuff. So, you know, once that starts to happen, spotlight comes on, then, you know, it, the, the game kind of turns. So I had the uh, uh, the privilege to, to go around, you know, the different countries and, and uh, you know, different states that I'd never traveled to at the age of, you know, 14, 15 years old. So I was able to see a lot and I was able to play against some high-level talent and just explore the world a little bit outside of that small town taking years. Um, so basketball gave me the ability to do all of that um, and also, you know, the dream of, uh, you know, making it to the next level or getting into the, to the highest level of, what, of your craft, um, you know, I was able to do that, you know, uh, in, in 99. So uh, basketball has been great. And we're joined once again by Jonathan Bender on the Spotlight interview brought to you by Bank Plus. And Jonathan, as you just mentioned, that a, a, a kid from Picayune, uh, Mississippi getting drafted uh, to the NBA in '99 was it was it a shell shock to you or not? As you, I mean, I know you traveled around as you mentioned playing AAU ball and doing other things, but how much of an adjustment was it leaving a small town Picayune and then going up to Indiana? You know, right there to to play for the Pacers as you got drafted straight out of high school. How much of an adjustment period was that coming straight in as as kind of a kind of a new blood or a rookie coming into the NBA? Yeah, I mean, when you're coming in, it's not like um, well, I didn't go to college, so it's hard to compare, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's nothing like anything like that. It's more you're going to work, right? Um, to everybody else, it's like you're going and you're, you're working on a team that's actually going to work. Uh, I think I was mature at a young age, and um, my brother came. I didn't go by myself. My brother came with me, and my agent came with me, and that helped me out a lot, you know, uh, them being able to, you know, uh, give me some advice on what I was doing uh, wrong on the court, you know, making corrections here and there, and then, you know, just having some company uh, at that young age, 17, 18 years old. So uh, it wasn't a big adjustment. The biggest adjustment, I would think, would be the cold, you know. That snow up in Indiana, <laughs> uh, was uh, that, that wasn't too appealing to me. But I love the travel. Um we had to get adjusted to the fatigue of traveling. I never really witnessed how uh, traveling can be taxed, how taxing traveling can be on the body. And uh, uh, being able to get up every day and go to practice and get up for an 82-game 80, season and, uh, and, and get out there and play with grown men every single day. So, um, you know, I played with grown men already, so that wasn't a huge adjustment. It was just the flow of the game and learning the game. Um, I, I, that was the biggest adjustment I would think uh, going into it. And and JB, the way that that draft day uh, trade was made, it's not like a, most top five picks, the number five picks, going to go to a pretty bad team. That wasn't the case for you. You stepped into a a Pacers team that that was really good. Describe that team, man, and that experience walking in to a locker room with. Uh, legendary uh, Larry Bird and then also uh, Reggie Miller on that roster. Uh, just describe that, man. You know what was crazy is uh, I don't know if I'm the only guy, one of the only guys that got to do this, but I actually had a chance to pick one through five where I wanted to go. Right, So the Clippers were going to take me at number two, and my agent gave them the worst, you know, uh, <laughs> I've never seen a guy curse that much, but you know, my, my, you know, they were going to take me at number two. So I actually had a pick between one and five. I was because all of them wanted me um, at that time. But uh, my advisors didn't want me to go to the Clippers because it was too young and I was going to be out of control with all those guys over there in LA. And, um, you know, the bird had flew down. These guys was flying into New Orleans airport and I was going over to meet with some of these NBA coaches and GMs and stuff. 
And um, I remember being in my room and picking you and my, my, my agent, you know, at, he thought Indiana would be good. And we talked about it. And he said, okay, Toronto's going to take you, but they're going to trade. And they've already worked out the trade. So I already knew what was going on before it even happened. Right. And, you know, uh, Indiana was more stable, older guys. They had a, uh, they had a high school guy on there that, that I could kind of, uh, you know, adjust to that show me the ropes. He had just came in, Al Harrington. So, uh, getting there though, getting, you know, on the team with Reggie and all those guys. I mean, you know, once you see them, it's like, you know, you're in a little bit of off for a couple minutes until that ball drops. You know, in practice, or that first day where you guys are just just out there, you know, trying to get better. And then it's more of, okay, you know, we're all on the same floor, let's play. You know, so, and it's a business. You know, you got a young guy coming in there, super athletic. You know, you got some guys that may look and say, well, you know, I can't let this guy take my spot. So I got to show him off the rip who, who, you know, who I am and, you know, why I'm on his team. So it's more of that. It's more, you know, learning that business business aspect was a little different to me uh, going into it. JB, you you were, in my mind, you, you said it earlier, matured kind of before your age there. And so I would have been shocked if you would have told me, man, I was just shocked walking into the locker. I just not – uh, kind of your personality, but on the flip side of that, as you've described in practice, to hear some of Larry Bird's quotes, Rick Carlisle, Donnie Walsh, you you kind of dropped their jaws at times from some stuff that you did early on there in practice. How neat was that, man, to kind of see them react to your athletic ability? I mean, at first it was like, you know, it, it, it was an odd moment, but you get past that point and you get to the point where, look, I need to get past these guys and get on the floor. So, you know, in that type of environment, you know, you've got to understand the politics. If a guy's on a contract for a certain amount and you want to expose them, you know, there's certain things that they're doing that's out of your control no matter how good you're playing. So I may, I, I may be out there, you know, you know, busting, you know, busting tail on the, on the basketball court in practice or whatnot, but you know, you got this other guy that's in front of me that, you know, it, it, it may be, it may be, you know, several different reasons why he's there and why I, I haven't moved in front of him. Right. So, you know, all the stuff that you hear about practice, all of that, all of that is true. A superstar in practice. But, um, you know, to get the minutes that you need to kind of transfer that over to the game, um, it was coming right before my injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they brought me in and they had me right behind Reggie. So I was the guy once Reggie left. But, um, yeah, practice was fun. I mean, it was fun. Uh, it was fun work, you know. JB, when you look at the way uh, that you're built, 6'11 guy, super athletic, and now the whole league set up for like a 3 and D guy, you were that way before, you know, that was a thing, uh, the way that you played even high school basketball. The way that the games changed and when you look at the game and you look at like a way that Durant's been able to come in and dominate the NBA, do you see similarities? And, I mean, look, the Lord the Lord puts us in places uh, for a reason. But if that knee holds, there's not a lot of difference in what you were compared to what you're seeing some of these guys do. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I think you're right. You're right. You know, the, the point guard is kind of going away because you got six foot, 10, 11, seven foot guys out here. And the norm now is to be able to, you know, heavy pull up and pull up from, from 30 and 40 and be able to penetrate and get to the hole and stuff like that. So it's like the um, positionless uh, long guy. That's what they're looking for now. So, uh, yeah, I think it was a little bit before my time. Um, I think it was a, maybe one or two other guys that were in the same position. And, Jonathan, the opportunities, the mindset, all the things that you've described, the way you kind of self-educate things that you've read and studied, where has that gotten to now? What are, What is Jonathan Bender doing right now? What are you up to, my man? Well, I'm more into uh, sales. I love, I love selling. Um, um, I got computer. Every time you see me, I'm normally with a computer. I love the direct response market. 
Um, uh, I, I, I love developing developing new products, whether digital or physical, and uh, getting around new people that have uh, you know better skill set than me, and, and, and just learning that game. I love that game. Right? It's not. It's not. It's a bigger game. Right? When you're in the NBA, you're playing against other guys on the court. When you are in the world now, you're playing against you know millions of other you know I'm entrepreneurs or whatnot. So I use it as a as a uh, as competition, man. So just try to get better and better every day. But just to answer your question, I'm in the um, direct response marketing, which which I love, man. I absolutely love, right? And, uh, you know, I know you know about the, my joint pain uh, company as well, so we continue to help people with, you know, chronic back knee and hip pain and mobility issues as well. Jonathan, if you would, just kind of tell our listeners your curious mind, uh, some engineering that you have uh, in that mind of yours, and then the injuries, and then what does that all accumulate into with, with this uh device that you've kind of created for people that are suffering with knee or back pain and and just um if you would kind of walk us through that yeah so actually i developed it for myself (laughs) before (laughs) others um you know i was uh, i had a um you know i came into into training camp one year it was 2003 or something like that my knee was swole which you know was swelling high school a lot but what i found out when i got to nba is when I was growing, I think six inches over one summer. When I was doing that, growing that fast, I wasn't supposed to do anything. That means no strenuous exercise, no training, no anything. And, you know, I did the total opposite. We practiced, we did everything. And uh, that kind of started the, started the, the spiral of kind of tearing, breaking down cartilage a little faster than me. So um, um, back to it. When I got into training camp, the doctor looked at my knee that particular year. And he said, look, this is all bad. You're going to have to have surgery now. Or if you don't want it now, you'll be forced to have it in, in maybe a couple of weeks. So we decided to get it done. Um, now I'm completely bone on bone. He took everything out, scraped both sides of my uh, my knee joint. Mm. And so if you can imagine two bricks just crashing together every time you walk, mm. sharp bricks, that's how I was. So it was like someone was stabbing me with a knife when I got down to a certain point. And me being 6'11", you know, 38-inch vertical, I, I really depended on my athleticism to get around screens, uh, to get my jump off, and also get into the rim. So to have to, you know, uh, be out there and kind of stay away from, um, from a position because you're going to feel that pain, it, that became very, very tough. So it was constant, constant pain, and I started overcompensating. So I was with... I mean, they were paying, uh, I don't know if you know Dr. Dan Dyrick. He's Larry Bird's doctor. They were paying this guy $10,000 a day to come work on me. And um, I worked with this guy for like two years, man. We'll go to Boston and stay with him. And, you know, they put really put a lot of money into it because they, they, they thought I was the future there. But uh, I guess God had other plans. So I, I was able to take everything, all the information that I learned from that guy, um, even though I didn't have a successful comeback that season, but I was mentally and physically drained. So, you know, they kind of suggested I walk away from the game. So I walked away and I took all that information that he gave me and I said, look, I'm going to try to fix this thing myself. So I just drew this device in my head because I knew I needed to take first off my knee, but I needed to fire my quads and my glute muscles, but I needed all that active within the movement of a basketball player getting low coming around screen. So I needed in other words, I needed um, something to keep my muscles as tight as possible while I went in those low positions and while I was shooting a basketball, just to train my muscles to be strong and last throughout a game. So um, I literally put this thing together in like 10 minutes with some crap from the store and CVS. <laughs> and, but, it, but it started to prove my theory. Uh, one aspect, it did, uh, it did what I thought it was going to do. But once I started really getting into it and getting prototypes sewn up and getting some studies done at Purdue with my with my guy Eric Newman, the professor over there, and getting some great studies, um, it proved that it did a whole lot more. So, you know, uh, not only was it helping the knee, but the back, uh, there were a lot of sciatica patients, uh, cerebral palsy, multiple cirrhosis, 
any type of mobility disease, uh, mobility restrict, restricting uh, diseases. Uh, we've been able to help people from that standpoint. It's just been great from then. So, you know, I was able to come back after being out for four years and play the entire season. Uh, I registered the strongest lower extremity on the team in the new, at, at New York. Um, and it was easy getting back to New York because Donnie was over there and he said, look, if you ever come back, you make sure you call me first. So he was the first call I made and came back and played. And then uh, I already had the entrepreneurial bug a little bit too much. <laughs> and my mind works a little bit different. So, you know, um, at that point I was like, okay, should I continue here or should I, you know, um, keep working on what's going to, you know, the long-term mission. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm continuing continuing to do now so. awesome story man and a guy that's so easy for me to uh, root for and i think our listeners will sense that as well eight years in the nba eight years there in the league for jonathan bender and uh jb people that uh, from picune they may know where to find you already but for our other listeners what's a good place for them to kind of see what you're up to and, and follow along on this journey of yours my man uh, you can go to jonathanbender.com. Uh, you know, you can always follow me on Instagram at uh, jonathanbender9 as well. JB, I can't thank you enough. Uh, Jeff and I certainly appreciate your time, man. And it's good, if nothing else, to catch up with you, man. It's good spending some time with you. Absolutely, man. Pleasure on all. Thank you, JB. Thank you for listening to this week's episode brought to you by Mugshots Grill and Bar, Katie Cake and Company, Pearl River Community College, Bank Plus, Advantage Insurance Company, and Stonewall's Barbecue and Catering. Stay tuned for more episodes in the weeks to come.